Hey, it's Kanzano. I appreciate you making this podcast part of your day. Make sure you subscribe if you want more and leave us some feedback. Away we go. Initialize sequence. Welcome to The Baldcast, a production of John Kanzano's Baldface Truth. Back to the bald Face Truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. I love good storytelling. Frank Krakowski, longtime NBA big man. Played for a number of teams. I could, I could list them all, but if I did, Krakowski would probably get mad at me. For listing them all, he's joining us now. I think he was making a drive earlier. What are you doing, Brick? Johnny, what's that? We don't have time to list all the teams. That's the problem. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I love it. Were you driving? What was going on? You making a trip today, or what's happening? Yeah, I was driving back from Bozeman to back to the lake, back, back to Flat Like a, a good friend of mine had a sixty birthday, sixtieth birthday party, so we we're yucking it up the last couple of days. Love that. Love that, man. Uh, let let's let me ask you this. It's NBA summer. All this talk, you know, it, it has become a year-round thing. I don't, I don't think it was that way in the 80s and the 90s when you were playing, but it's a year-round thing. Everybody's talking about where is Kevin Durant going to be, trade demands. Uh, it feels different. What were the summers like when you were playing? You know, I, I would check out from basketball. I, it's so all-consuming and exhausting. I, I wouldn't touch a basketball till the third week of August, I go down to LA and play for a month and a half and work out two days and just bust my butt. But you didn't, there was nothing to hear, right? There was some free agent movement or contract situations like you have normally in any sport, but it wasn't like this. It wasn't the 20, 24 seven news cycle. It's almost like the politics. You can't get away from it. It's like every time I turn on the TV, it's something about basketball, which is good for basketball. I guess, you know, we want more fans. We want more people listening and checking in on it, so I guess it's good. Yeah, and I think yeah, it is good. It kind of generates that interest, but did guys demand trades in your day? Do you remember teammates going, hey, I want to be traded, and it becoming a big story, or did guys just play? Oh, only if you you were able. So I was in Milwaukee. Mike Dunleavy was the president and coach, which I didn't like. I thought he he wouldn't play somebody, or he wouldn't would not not play somebody because he didn't want to ruin their trade back. And he taught the Todd day. We had a rookie out of Arkansas where playing like crap, shooting 20% from the threes has a green light and Mike's still playing him because Mike wants him to play well so he can trade him. Hmm. Well, that's not in the best interest of the team. Anyway, the point I was going to make was I had one more year on my contract knowing they would have to sign me that coming year or I'm gone. So I told Mike, look, trade me. I want out. I'm not going to re-sign with you after next year, so get something for me now. And I went to Charlotte, and uh, that's, you know, I, I'm not one guy, a guy with the statue to say, hey, trade me or I'm not playing. You know, nowadays, I don't know. You sign a contract, I feel like you're obligated to that contract, unless it's just grossly inadequate, right? You, you have a bust-out year, and you're averaging 30 where you were paid for, you know, a 10-point production the year before. I think the team... You know, in order to be on your good side or be good with you and want to keep you long-term, may renegotiate a contract or may trade you to where you want to go as long as you can get something for them, right? Um, 
It's a different world, Johnny. As you know, you know better than anybody. It's, it's just uh, I can't even track Kevin Durant, Durant and all that's going on with Kevin. And it's just crazy. The trash talk on the court has always been interesting to me. You heard it. You were around great trash talkers. Who are the best in the league at your time? Oh, Larry, you got to go with Larry. We we all we all had fun with it, right? It was, there was no nasty kind of trash talker. Larry would be real humorous in it. And like I said to Larry one time, he was a he was a consultant with the Celtics in '97 when I was there. I told Larry we were talking stuff back and forth. There was a couple of other players. I said, Larry, I had 42 on you one year. He jumped out of his seat. You never had 40. I said, no, no, settle down, Larry. Pump the brakes. I had 12 one game. I had 18 another game. I had 42 (laughs) on you that year. (laughs) So it was fun, you know. It's like, but but you had to be respectful, right? If you were disrespectful of a player or like Steph does a dance, and this isn't a criticism of Steph. This is a criticism of the league and the way it is now. If you shot a shot, and you hit a three-pointer on me, or you came in, you dunked, and you did a dance, I'm touching you up the next play. You, you, something's coming. And everybody was like that, right? I, I, I blocked Jim Clemens' shot when I was a rookie, and I told him, get that stuff out of there. He gave me a forearm shiver in the neck I, ne- I still talk about today. <laughs> and I never messed with Jim Clemens again. I never told him, get that stuff out of here. And that's kind of the police in your own game. Now I think the referees have too much power. The the, kid, the the guys just taunt and I mean we would we would be it wouldn't happen it wouldn't happen. Frank Burkowski with us, longtime NBA big man. You know you got to play at a high level in the postseason. What's the difference between postseason basketball and regular season basketball? Because I look at your postseason career, you played thirty seven games in the playoffs. That must have been a lot of fun. It was. It, you don't know what the difference is until you experience it, right? It's like every friggin' play means something. Where during the season, it's like, eh, you know, it's, just, it's another game. We're playing three, four games a week. But when that those playoffs start, and they start ramping up, so you get through the first round, you get through the second round, and the pressure just builds. I would take an NBA nap every game day. In the last two rounds of the finals, and I wasn't even playing that much. I, I, it's just so consuming. You're so nervous. You're so hyped. You couldn't. I couldn't sleep at night, let alone sleep during the day, you know, I'd get my sleep somewhat, but it's just a pressure cooker. And, and you, we're going back 25 years, 20, 25 years, where now it's the, it's the 24 seven news cycle that grates on these players. And I feel bad for them. You know, it's like we had to worry about one or two papers in the local scene. And then, you know, USA today, what they said, but that was it really. We weren't on social media. We weren't on this 24 seven grind of news. We always talk about it being a game, and people will talk about the love of the game and and that stuff. But when you're in it, it it has to feel like a business. How much of a business did it feel to you at different times? And when you're amid that, like, you know, it's a game when you started out as a kid. Like, were there moments where you had to check yourself and go, hey, uh, you know, make sure you enjoy your time here because it won't last forever? Yeah, it's hard hard when you're in it. Like, you know, on this weekend, I was just away. There were some new friends in from the East Coast, some friends of friends. They all wanted to talk about basketball. I really enjoyed talking about basketball. Where I don't, I have it in the past. It's just, it grinds you down. And the, like Howie Long and I always say, the further we get from our career, the more we enjoy it, right? It's, we're able to look back nostalgically and romantically and think, wow, I, I'm amazed at what I did. I'm like, really? 
Well, because when you're in it, you don't you don't experience it. You're so consumed with it. And I think a lot of people talk about that in different careers or different different kind of modalities where it's so, just so consuming. You can't you know you don't have the luxury to stop and enjoy, it, right? It's just you better be ready for the next game. You better be ready for the next play. You know what I mean? It's like. So it, it was tough. It was tough. It, it, you know, people from the outside, they see the games and the glitter and the run and this and that. Oh, my God, I want to do it. Well, you, you try doing it. You know, 82 games, another 20 games of playoffs, another 15 games of preseason or whatever it is now. The human body's not built. The human psyche's not built to perform like that. And it's amazing that these kids do perform the way they do. When I look at Damian Lillard, I'm like, I'm amazed by him. Let me ask you, you mentioned Howie Long. How does a NFL defensive tackle and an NBA enforcer become friends? Oh, that's a good story. <laughs> I'm glad you asked. I'm playing for the Lakers in 85, 86. He's with the Raiders. The Raiders are in L.A. I, I live in, I'm living in Manhattan Beach. The practice facility for the Raiders is in El Segundo, the next town north of us on the beach. I go, the, my strength coach from Penn State, this guy John Dunn, Mother Dunn, gets the head strength coach job at the Raiders. I go over there to see him. I end up meeting Howie and Todd Christensen and then Marcus Allen, the whole crew. And I asked John, I go, John, does it, can anybody work out? I mean, can you think I could work out here? He goes, oh, no, Al Davis, the only person that allows anybody in here outside of the team is Al Davis. So I'm at the forum the next night playing in a game. I go up to the forum club, and I see Al Davis in the lobby, and I walk up to him, and I said, Mr. Davis, my name's Frank. He goes, Frank, I know who, I know who the hell you eat. He used a couple curse words in here I won't use with you, but he said, I know who the hell you are, Frank. What do you want from me? And he had a big smile on his face. I said, well, Mr. Davis, I live in Manhattan Beach, and, uh, and I met Howie and John Dunn with my strength coach at Penn State. I said, I'd love to work out at your, at your facility. He goes, you go down there 24-7. Anybody mess with you, you tell them to talk to me. <laughs> so I'm down there the next day. They're doing some benching, and John, John Dunn comes running over me. Dude, dude, you can't be in here. I'll get fired. I'll get fired. I was like, go talk to Al. I love that. I, I got a chance to cover the Raiders a little bit when Al was alive, and it was it was fascinating to see him in the locker room, engaged in his sweatsuit. Like, I don't think they're going to make owners like that now. Now you got groups of 25 people, you know, it's a bunch of suits. You hardly know who really owns the team anymore. I think the days of, like, there being one owner who owns everything and nobody else is involved are, are probably long gone. Yeah, I, I think so, too. And Al was a hands-on owner, right? He, he knew football inside and out. He was he was racially sensitive. He was the first guy to hire a black coach in Art Shell. And he, he was hands-on and, and, and passionate, right? You, don't, you see these guys that are passionate about this sport. They don't know basketball like Al knew football. And he had his own little stands on the practice field. And Howie, Howie was uh, – he always had a chip on his shoulder about being from a small school, Villanova, not being a high draft choice, and all these big draft choices coming in. And Howie was a heavyweight boxer. He was 32-0 and 0 in, in college in boxing. And if he were here, he would say, I had one really good punch with an uppercut. He goes, it was really effective. <laughs> so so we're at the practice facility, and we're, I'm all, just watching practice. Al is over in his private bleachers, and there's a big draft pick from, from Nebraska, and, and they're doing pass blocking where you just kind of grab a guy and ride him out of dip you block them. And when he lets go of Howie, he kind of pushes him away. Sorry, what? And the whole field just stops. <laughs> How he walks over to him, he goes, I'm sorry, what would you say? And he says it again, 
and how he grabs him by the face mask, pulls him to him, pops his helmet off, and gives him an uppercut, lifts him off the ground, and drops him. <laughs> and Shanahan, Shanahan's in the tower, and Shanahan starts screaming at Howie, you can't drop out, you can't knock out my first-round draft choice, da 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 And Howie says, that's the problem with this organization. we got a softie up there now. And Al's off by himself. He just gives Howie the slow clap as Howie walks off the field. <laughs> I got more stories about Howie. I don't want to spend any more time on Howie. Yeah, Frank Brakowski with us. Uh, tell you know you've talked before. You've mentioned Charlie Sheen, and we've talked about it. You were in that circle where you know you were living the life, and you were rubbing elbows with celebrities and NFL players and and whatnot. You know that had to be a fun time in your life. It, it was. I was single, living in L.A., you know, 25, 26 years old, and had some money in my pocket and living near the beach. And I mean, what's not to like? You know, if you don't take advantage of that, I, I don't know who who wouldn't enjoy those, those times. And I had just told a story to a friend the other day, and uh, Charlie, I just saw Platoon. It was 1985. Platoon was a huge hit, and it was a great, you know, I just loved the movie. And I go to the game, and Charlie's sitting in the front row, I'm like, oh, my God, I was just starstruck. You know, I was like, Charlie, oh, my God, I just saw the movie. Come in the locker room after the game. And so he came in the locker room, and we ended up just hitting off. Like, Howie and I hit it off really fast. Just when you, you meet somebody and you just become instant, really good friends. And it was like that with Howie, and I'm still real close with Howie today. And, and Charlie, I, 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 I've lost touch with Charlie for no other reason than he went one way, I went the other way. Um, and, you know, Charlie's a sweet, kind, generous smart, funny guy, you know, what we saw in this debacle that we witnessed recently, or not recently, probably the last six, five, six years, was late stages of addiction and psychosis. It was, it was horrible to, to see him like that, because he's a good, he's a good, good guy, um, so it's tough. I, and I, we don't talk, not for any other reason than we just kind of parted ways, and uh, we owned a ranch together in Montana for eight years together. Um, you- you uh you know we talk about you being a you know a New York guy or an East Coast guy and some of the great pickup basketball that's played out there. Did you ever go to Rucker Park? Did you ever go play pickup basketball and you know I the playground legends of that era? I I did. I I've been to Rucker's Park. I think I played there maybe twice. It's a tough place for a white kid from Long Island to get to get into. Um but I went and watched a lot and it was so much fun. It's like you you just don't know what kind of fun and humor that evolves from this competition of basketball in the inner cities. My dad would drive me over to the other side of the island. We lived on the North Shore, which is more the affluent. I grew up in a working-class neighborhood surrounded by extreme wealth on the North Shore of Long Island, Oyster Bay. I was in a little town, little working-class town called Babel. And my dad would take me, if it was a Saturday, he wasn't working, he'd take me early, and, and I'd try and hide from him because I was scared. I was a 14, 15-year-old kid. He would take me across the island and dump me off at the black parks. And, you know, I didn't have a choice but to play. I would just go stand on the side and hoping someone would ask me to, to get in. Um, and eventually I was accepted and I competed and they, they, they knew my name and, and it, was, it was, wasn't scary anymore, right? So, but that's where I cut my, my teeth was playing against that talent, right? It, it didn't matter what color your skin was. You had to compete. And if you didn't compete, you didn't get in the game. When did you know basketball is going to be your thing? You know, I didn't, Johnny. I, I never dreamt of playing basketball. It was just something that happened, and I ended up growing and being tall 
and getting a scholarship. Like, I never thought of playing pro ball as I'm going to college. I went to Penn State. Penn State's not a, not a great basketball school. It was the best basketball. It was the best school that offered me a scholarship. That's why I went to Penn State. I didn't go there for the program thing. No, I'll go there and I'll play pro ball. And my coach, I was a junior, and at the end of the season, he said, if, if Brick plays like he did this year, he'll be on an NBA roster the following year. And I was like, is he talking about me? Like, I never, it never crossed my mind. And then, you know, I started to think, well, I could play in Europe, and then maybe I could play here, and blah, 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 blah. And I was like, I could make some money? My God. I mean, oh. <laughs> so, so I never had this dream of playing pro ball. It just, it just took on a life of its own. It snowballed, and, you know, I'm, I was blessed to just be able to do what I did. It was just, I, as I'm talking about it, it still shocks me that it played out the way it played out. Frank Prakowski with us, a longtime NBA big man. Uh, look, you've been around winning franchises and losing franchises, both as a player and then later working with the Players Association. Help us out with, you know, some of the trademark things that you see winning franchises doing, and maybe it's an off-the-court thing. Maybe it's little things. Can you tell who's a winner by looking at the little things? You know, the, it's, a, it's a great question question that it could be a lot of things right but for me it's do you have a leader on that team that competes every night like a Gary Payton Gary wasn't a great teammate but he was a great competitor and if you have the leader of that team competing every night then it forces everybody else to compete every night if you have a guy like me that wants to mix it up every night well now everybody else is starting to mix it up so I think that competition, that these superstars that kind of skip out to the court and get their 30 one night and get their 10 the next night and kind of play to the media, and it, it just drives me crazy. The guys, the Warriors, there's so few left that want to mix it up every night and get after it every night. Like I remember going to games and thinking, how am I going to play? I don't even know what city I'm in. I just woke up from a nap. The bus, the city, who are we playing? Do I have any beefs? with anybody we're playing tonight. Do I have to settle anything or look out for anything? So you're constantly managing this thing, but when you get to the court and someone hits you or someone scores on you, it's on, right? For me, for Gary, for Buck Williams, for Oak, for you go down the list, Michael Jordan, obviously, not to, not to compare myself to Michael Jordan, but that son of a gun wanted to get after it every night, every night. And that, so the, a long answer to your short question is that competition. It's that leader that's going to compete every night like a Tim Duncan or a David Robinson. So that, that would be my first first thing. Now, how did you know? Like, because you know if something needed to be settled, what do you do in a case where, like, something happens early in the season and you don't see that guy or that team for a while? I mean, it, do you still, like, do you make a notation, like, the next time I see that guy, uh, we got something to talk about? Hell Yeah. <laughs> Oh, yeah, it was a constant. It was a constant battle of like, okay, I got him last time for good reason. I got to look out for him. Does he want more? Does he want to go at it again? You know, the first couple minutes of the game, I will establish whether I want to get after it, and he'll establish whether he wants to get after it. And it's kind of this thing, this dance you do with people that you compete against, right? It's, I, a lot of guys come through the league. Like, I'll have guys come up to me and go, hey, yeah, I played for eight years. And then if I never battled him, he might have been on the bench in the league or not played my position. I don't know who, the, who they are. I played for a long time. And 
but tracking it, like knowing, well, that guy might want a piece piece of me, so I got to keep an eye on him, and da 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 da. So it was a constant, you know, you, you, the, taking the temperature of the of the guy you're playing against and see what he wants to get into that night. And we we would take nights off where I'd say, Oh, you know what? Just leave me alone. I'll leave you alone. Rick Mahorn, just, <laughs> what are we going to do? We're going to take it easy on each other tonight. Or are we going to mix it up? I remember I was in New Jersey one time. Rick was in New Jersey. And I said, I don't really feel like playing tonight, Rick. He goes, me either. Sure, let's just, we'll go through the motions tonight. You know, <laughs> and there's, there's deals like that. How often do you think that happens? Because I, I think sometimes we look at the schedule and we go, okay, back-to-back, long road trip, uh, team wanting to get home. Like sometimes you can tell one team's there to play and maybe another team isn't just feeling it. Uh, you know, how often do you think that happens in with an 82-game schedule? Oh, it's got to happen a lot, John. It's got, you know, and it depends on the makeup of the team. Like I, I'd walk into the arena sometimes just cross-eyed, like I said earlier, Thinking, how how am I going to compete? How am I going to get after? And then one thing leads to another, and you're it's on, right? It's, it, and that's the problem. I, I I golf, and if I'm playing bad in golf, I can't go anywhere with it. It's just me. Where in <laughs> basketball, if I'm playing bad, there's a lot of stuff I can do to get it going, right? I can dive on a loose ball. I can hit somebody, have somebody hit me, or just block. You know, there's there's something I can do to get myself going, and, that, and that's how I did. But there are times where as a team, you walk into the arena and you know there is no way we're going to be able to compete as a team. It's just whether it's jet lag or, the, you know, whatever it is, or just accumulation of, of basketball, you know. And, and you look at teams, like anybody can beat anybody on any given night. We've always said that. And there's a lot of reasons for that. But great teams will walk in and lose to a bad team by 40 sometimes. Frank um, how, how does that happen? Yeah. Frank – let me, let me ask you, 14 years, you mentioned, you said Gary Payton, great competitor, not a great teammate. Who's a, What makes a great teammate? Who are, when I say great teammate, who's the best teammate you ever had? Maggie Johnson, bar none, bar none. And if I had to start a team, like if you asked me, there's a lot of questions that float around, like who was the best player you ever played against, who was the toughest player, who was this, who was that. The, 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 the question I like is if you were to start a team, who would be your, your five or your eight? And I would start with Magic first because he controlled the game. He had the ball in his hands. He started center as a friggin' rookie when Kareem went down and, and had 42, 15, and 8. So that's a great teammate. And he was always pumping his boys up. He was always, like he's screaming at James to get out on the wing. And J- when James hears Magic screaming, he's getting out on the wing and he's busting his butt. Byron Scott coming down. Come on, Cap, come on. So he's constantly pumping you up. He's constantly getting you into your game and getting you the ball where you want it, like no other point guard I ever played with. I imagine the Stocktons and the Mark Prices and those other guys were like that, um, but I didn't experience them like I experienced Magic. And, and Gary, I say Gary wasn't a great teammate. Gary would want to go after somebody and get, get going, and he would go to the hole, and if he couldn't score, he'd pass the ball a lot of times. But he was looking out for Gary. And, it, you know, a great, great player, Hall of Famer, blah, 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 blah. But there are certain guys that play a certain way that you that, that brings the team together and brings you in together. And Gary, for Gary, was competition. He was going to compete every night. We're watching a Blazers team with Damian Lillard, and, you know, he, he, he has, you know, extended his contract with the Blazers. But, 
you know, there's some pressure and there's some talk out there from people, uh, even players in the league. J.R. Smith came out and said, you know, Dame's rotting in Portland. And um, what advice would you give to Dame as his career now? You know, he's looking at the at the final leg more or less as he looks at the next five or six years. Yeah, you know, I I I haven't communicated with Damon in probably six months, but I I always felt for Damon because I thought his loyalty was misplaced. Remember uh, Pat Tillman? Yep. With the with the Arizona team that ended up dying in Iraq or where Afghanistan, wherever it was. I thought he had a just some kind of loyalty disorder in that. Like Arizona, I think it was New Orleans offered him three times as much as Arizona, but because Arizona drafted him, he stayed in Arizona. Dame has this sense of loyalty to the Blazers, which is admirable, right? We all we all ad- admire a superstar like that being loyal to a town and a franchise. But I wanted him to understand, look, I want to see you take care of yourself, too. I don't want you to look back and go, man, you know that loyalty thing that kind of, kind of messed up my career. I said, Dame, you, you don't own Portland anything. You don't owe them anything. You owe yourself to make sure you have the best career and the most rewarding career of your of your time here, and it's so short. I said, don't be afraid to go somewhere else, to go win somewhere else. Um, but he loves Portland, and, and Portland's a great town to play in. And you know, he's he's just a good-hearted kid. I wish we had a hundred of Damian Lillard's in the league and C.J. McCollum's. I thought C.J. is such a great kid too. So it's it's a uh, it's a balancing act for Dame. He's just a loyal, good, good-hearted kid. Brick, I, I love having you on. We got to go to a break, uh, but we'll get you back on soon. You got a podcast you're doing too. Tell people where they can find it. They want to hear more Frank Burkowski. It's not up and going yet, but John Sally and our Sally and I are in talks right now to put together a podcast around old school versus the new school, or the, the old <laughs> way of playing versus the new one. So we're going to have fun with it. And uh, I appreciate you saying something. Johnny, I always love coming on. I'd love to come on more with you. Let's do it's it. It's fun. And I want to, I got to shout out to Eric Sprunk. Eric Sprunk loves you and always talks about how great that you are for the city there in sports. So well, I appreciate that. And I appreciate that you come on. We'll get you back on. Let's do it more regularly. Let's so uh, that way we, uh, we get, you get you caught up. And when things are happening, we can talk about it. Let's do it, Johnny. Have a great summer. All right, Brick. Thanks for coming on. That's Frank Brickowski. Great stuff. Leave it here. Back to the Bald Face Truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. Good stuff from the Brick, Frank Brickowski. He could tell stories all day. What was the what was your favorite part of that interview, Stephen? Well, I love hearing about just the trash talkers because that's uh, you know that's the one thing back in the day is it seems like there was better trash talking than there is nowadays. So I'd love to hear stories about Bird. Like Bird always seems like he was the ultimate trash talker. I mean, there's always the story of uh, you know he got there's a I forget what game it was, but they put a white guy on him and he just took it as disrespect, and so they just went out and killed him. Like that that kind of stuff is awesome. To me. So anytime it's trash talking and Bird, man, I'm in. I like that. How about you, Sean? Favorite part uh, of the interview? Magic Johnson stories. The fact that yeah. he, you know, you asked him who was your favorite teammate, and he he named a star. I thought that was super interesting. Yeah. And Magic Johnson did he did I hear it correctly that Magic Johnson at the center position put up forty two yes. fifteen and eight? Yeah, that's that's crazy. Yeah, Magic could play all five positions. I mean, I think and and probably would have been a Hall of Famer regardless of where he played. And I thought it was interesting too because he raised an interesting point that 
sometimes the best player isn't a good teammate. Like, it it jarred me a little bit when he started talking about Gary Payton being a Hall of Fame player, but not the best teammate he ever had. And, you know, we always think about great teammates being role players. When he mentioned Magic, to your point, it was interesting. But the fact that he pointed out, like, Gary Payton, you know, played at a high level and was fantastic, but wasn't the best teammate necessarily. doesn't surprise me that, you know, Peyton's that way. I, I had a run-in with Peyton years ago. Peyton had made a promise to Oregon State that he was going to donate $5 million towards the uh, basketball program. He had made them a, a promise. Like and, and Oregon State, like a lot of universities, when they get those pledges, they, they mark it down. Like, hey, we're counting on that money coming in. And I was uh, covering the NBA Finals at the time, and Gary Payton was part of uh, one of the teams, and I was sent to the finals uh, with the directive of write a column about what happened to the $5 million donation that Gary Payton had pledged to Oregon State. And it ended up being like this whole dramatic exchange that I had with Payton at the arena. And I was like, dude, did you promise – like?" Did you, what what is going on with that gift? And he was like, you know, why are you even asking about me? I go because Oregon State's wondering where their gift is. And Oregon State, Bobby Carroll is the AD at Oregon State at the time. He told me, I said I'm going to cover the NBA Finals, and I believe Gary Payton was in Miami at the time with the Heat. And they were playing the Mavericks in the Finals. I think it was like 2010, 2011, right in there. And so I was sent there, and Bobby Carroll is the AD at Oregon State. Said, hey. Don't I don't want you to say that we asked, like, because he wasn't asking. But he said, I am kind of curious, like, are we going to get the check or not? Because Oregon State was wanting to make renovations to Gill Coliseum and all this stuff. And so they're kind of wondering, pra- basketball practice facility. And I can, I'll never forget the, the uh, media relations guy with the team getting really upset with me for asking the question of Gary Payton during the finals. He was like, why are you asking him that during the finals? Well, I'm asking him it because it's a story. I think he did make good on it. Leave it here. We interrupt this broadcast with a special announcement from the Bald Face hey, Sorry to interrupt the podcast, but if you want to listen to more of the Bald Face Truth Radio Show, including more of this segment that you're listening to, make sure you subscribe on SoundCloud and iTunes to the Bald Face Truth Radio Show. Thanks for listening.